Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat. I'm John Ray, along with Frazier and Dieter partner Roger Lesby. Roger, how are you today? I'm fine, John. Good morning. Good, Good morning. to see you again. Good, great to see you. And we've got a great show today. We've got a terrific guest that you've got a connection with, so this is going to be fun. Uh, J.R.L. Cole. We've got Tim Lesby, the CEO. And something tells me you two guys know each other. Uh, we are. We're brothers. Okay, cool. <laughs> so we'll we'll get more into that. And Michael Rosemeisel. 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 I got it. Perfect. Michael Rosemeisel. And Michael is the president and chief legal officer of J.R.L. Cole. But before we get to them, I want to remind everyone that Frazier & Dieter is an award-winning national CPA and advisory firm with deep technical expertise and an even deeper dedication to their clients. Their CPAs and advisors believe in investing in relationships to make a difference. For more information, go to FraserDeeter.com. So JRL Energy from Harlan, Kentucky, headquartered in Milton, Georgia. There's a story there. Guys, tell us what a little bit more about the company in general. Yeah, there is definitely a story. Uh, we, uh, we were actually in the medical device business. We had a, a spine company. We were the founders of here in uh, Marietta, Georgia, and, and uh, we grew that company up to about $100 million in revenue. We sold it to a private equity firm in April 2016. Then we wanted uh, we had restrictive covenant agreements where we couldn't really be back in the device side, so we went and we, uh, we pursued other, other interests, and we happened to run across uh, uh, some coal up in Kentucky, and, and I know that doesn't really relate to devices very well, but but uh, we had uh, really looked at a small property that we were looking at just to make a little bit of money on. It was a, a blue gem coal, which uh, is a very uh, a very high quality coal that's used in silicone production, and and so uh, that led to us actually purchasing a much larger asset, and then taking JRL Energy is actually the holding company, and coal is JRL Coal is a subsidiary of it, but. Uh, uh, we've made a significant capital investment in that company, and we've employed about 220 people. Uh, we're about 16 months into the venture right now. And this is a little bit different client for me, John, because uh, <clears throat> with my brother and one other investor, uh, I'm actually a founder of this company, and I sit on the board of directors. And so from an accounting standpoint, that means that Fraser and Dieter is not independent. So we had to go out and we hired a, another accounting firm to actually do our annual audit. Mm. Uh, we, we, we brought in BDO to do that and their national team in coal. And then Frazier and Dieter then is handling the valuation work, the, the tax work, and, and things of that nature for JRL Coal. And uh, I think what's interesting and cool about this, uh, Roger, for you and Let's talk about you and your clients is that you you come at it with, as being an owner of a business you've got that perspective that maybe uh, others in your industry really don't have I mean you come at it uh, uh, looking at their business as an owner of your own business yeah and and that's true and it's been fun and I know that Michael has uh, learned just like uh, Tim and I uh, as much and as quickly as possible about the coal industry and uh, and we really feel good about where we are today and uh, and some of the things that are going on. Uh, very interesting uh, business. A lot, a lot that's in the news about it. 
right? So maybe we ought to get into that and let's cover that, cover some of the technological changes that are going on in the industry that really uh, made this investment attractive. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, quite a bit going on. Uh, uh, not only uh, President Trump has been obviously very uh, uh, cooperative to the coal industry and has helped the coal industry. Uh, we have, uh, you know, the coal industry is uh, is very uh, concerned, obviously, from an environmental standpoint. Uh, we have, uh, uh, we take a, a, a great pride in, in, in making sure that we reclaim the properties back to their original conditions. We actually have bonds in place that... Uh, that will help us with that in case we become insolvent, so that that actually will happen. So, we're very uh, we're very pro environment. We also uh, uh, we we have taken a little bit different uh, look at this. We, we're doing things a little bit differently. We had a multi billion dollar company that was in in there, and uh, it's unbelievable how they had so much paper trail. Each driver would bring a little uh, piece of paper down to a building and they'd have 20 people enter the data, and it just seems so old-fashioned. And this was from companies that had multi-billion dollar uh, market caps. And so we've taken a little bit different approach. We got some uh, software folks in there, and we actually have every vehicle has a, a GPS identity to it, so we know exactly where it is. We can tell what elevation is on our property because we have over 20,000 acres up there, John. So we have vehicles all over the place, and so we want to know what level or what, a, what elevation each vehicle is taking and removing coal because that helps us track from when we pay our royalties to our lessors. So we have everything is pretty much uh, uh, like an iPad. We've got cameras. We've got uh, location of our vehicles. We know the tonnage. We know everything that's going on, so we can we try and allow the drivers – and the operators of the equipment to operate the equipment and drive the vehicles instead of uh, spending a lot of time on paperwork and, and then handing it down to some administrative building. So we're trying to take a little bit uh, more of a, uh, uh, I'll say, a, a high-tech approach to, to coal mining. Uh, we also are taking a look at maybe even taking that, that uh, technology, which we have filed for uh, patent protection, uh, and maybe even spinning it out and, and uh, going out to some other coal companies and and, uh, and uh, licensing that technology to them. And maybe Michael has a, a little bit of a, of a, some input on that as well. Yeah, uh, Tim, you started out talking about uh, Donald Trump and, and his support of the coal industry. Well, uh, he has accomplished quite a bit. Uh, there are a couple of things that we'd like to see him do. But uh, just going over a couple of uh, accomplishments, when he came out, uh, came out of the gate back in April 2017. One of the first executive orders he signed, signed was called Promoting Energy Independence and Economic Growth. And the whole point was just to review the federal agencies and find out where they can make changes, where they could cut back, how they could promote clean and safe development of domestic energy, make us less reliant on foreign fuels. And sure enough, each one of the executive branches, I'm sorry, executive agencies were uh, tasked with coming up with ideas. And sure enough, uh, they did. And the Department of Energy came back and they, uh, they came up with the Power Grid Moder Modernization Initiative, which uh, recognized the vulnerability and, of our uh, electric grid system here in the United States from a national security standpoint. Uh, he promoted the uh, grid resilience concept and reliability concept saying the coal industry is necessary to provide a, a reliable and resilient 
power system here in the United States. Uh, outside of Donald Trump, we also had uh, several uh, uh, several actions that were taking place both judicially and, and uh, uh, congressionally, but we had the repeal of the stream protection rule, the so-called stream protection rule. We had the repeal of the clean power plan. Uh, it was actually recently replaced. Uh, they lifted the moratorium on coal leases on federal land. We obviously withdrew from the Paris Accord. Uh, the federal government funding of rare earth elements became a, a hot topic recently. We'll touch on that in a little bit. And then the EPA uh, surprisingly released a statement and said that uh, based on academic articles, the environmental impact of CO2 emissions is negligible. So coming out of the gate, we've had a great political backing. Uh, there's some more that we need to accomplish as, as an industry and, uh, uh, and politically, uh, including some revisions to the tax act of 2017. Uh, but so far, I think we've had a, a, a great start. But, John, a couple things that I'm most proud of. Um, a couple weeks ago, we just delivered our one millionth ton of coal. Wow. And we did that in 15 months, and that was pretty cool. That is cool. And then the second thing is, is that today um, our company, which didn't exist two years ago, now has over 200 people that are employed in Harlan, Kentucky, uh, and, and that's really pretty, pretty cool as well. Uh, I know that the town is very, very grateful. These are very high-end paying jobs for people within Harlan, Kentucky. I think their uh, their average income in 2016 was about $12,500. Hmm. And these are, these are significant high-paying jobs. And uh, the work ethic of some of our employees up in Kentucky has just been phenomenal. Uh, these guys love coal. They want to work coal. And they know how important coal is. And I think that that's really been inspiring to, to Tim and I and to Michael as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, the uh, Roger, that's a great comment. Uh, you know, one thing that uh, I would like to share with people, because I've had many, I've had several businesses, but I mean, I remember one specific time that uh, Roger and I came, went up there on a Saturday and we went up to, we have a, a surface operation on two sections, and we have an, a deep mine, Leningram mine, that Roger brought up earlier. And uh, this guy came up to me because he, he called us, I think, Mr. JRL, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, he was in tears. He gave, I mean, you can just imagine a big, manly, burly guy coming up and giving you a hug and saying, thank you for giving me a job. I feel like a man again. You know, he was unemployed for two years. And, uh, you know, that, you know, I almost felt like crying myself right there, you know. So, you know, that, that I'd never had that kind of gratification from anything I'd done in business so far when somebody actually is so appreciative. And as Roger said, those jobs up there, you know, the average maybe twelve five or something. But some of these guys, these underground guys, you know, they're making in excess of $100,000 a year as blue-collar guys. And now they're putting the hours in. And and I call it the World War II work ethic because these guys don't stop. If they, uh, I've got a picture at eleven o'clock at night, and uh, and you look at the picture, and f- five out of six of the guys are salary guys, you yeah. know. So you know they're 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 there to do their mission and accomplish it. They want this company to be a success. They certainly don't want to see it fail, and 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 they don't want to see the industry fail. So I think that's a that's a great point that Roger brought up. Uh, along those lines, uh, we've actually received national recognition from the U.S. Department of Agriculture for putting uh, uh, 
men and women back into into work, into the workforce, getting them back on the hill. Uh, recently, we uh, qualified for a finance program under the Economic Rural Development Program, again, to help a uh, depressed economy. And so putting these guys back to work and, and women back to work was a major accomplishment for, uh, for our board members and uh, the executive team. And that's another good point that Michael brings up is, is the, the capital markets – uh, that that's definitely one of the problems right now for the coal industry. Unfortunately, uh, the capital markets just really are not there for the industry. Uh, there's a lot of banks. If you go out now, we're not really bankable yet. Typically, you need about 24 month history and and two years of audits before you really become uh, in that mid market. Because uh, you know we're we're now doing about seven million dollars a month after 15 months, as Roger said. So forward revenues are getting close to 100 million dollars. And, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's at mid-level banking, but we still need 24 months. But even after 24 months in the audits, John, uh, you take a look at the top five banks, and most of them will not lend to the coal business. So what's happening is it's become real political. You know, I, I think uh, Wells Fargo will lend to uh, the marijuana business, which isn't even legal by federal with the federal government, but they, they, they won't lend to the coal business. So, so you know, you've got to have Wall Street buy back into it. You got to have the private equity guys start getting back in, and they are. The private equity guys are starting to come back. Wall Street. We've had an IPO here uh, in seventeen with a company called uh, Aramico. Uh, there's another one going off right now in Australia. So I think the coal markets are starting to get attention again, and the, and obviously uh, the prices of coal have gone up substantially in the last eighteen months. So right. I think there's a lot of a lot of positive things going on right now in the market, but the capital markets have to have to loosen up a little bit. And the three of us are actually headed up Wednesday night to uh, Pittsburgh, where we'll be at a coal conference Thursday and Friday. And uh, one of the topics will be Wall Street. And we've got a panel of people that will be talking about that. So we'll look forward to having their update as well. All right. You're listening to Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat here on Business Radio X. And we're speaking with Tim Lesby, who's the CEO of JRL Coal, as well as Michael Rosemeisel. Yes. Did I get that right, Michael? That's perfect. After, after perfect. several tries, I got that right. Michael's the president and chief legal officer. You know, I'll talk a little bit about, we touched on this earlier, but I want to make sure we bring this point out about the uh, issues around reliable sources of power for our power companies and the, 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 the way that industry is working and how important that is in terms of coal being a piece of that. Yeah, that is important. And, and what people have to realize is in this, in the globe and the world now, we have 7 billion people. And with 7 billion people, we need to have cheap, reliable energy. And this book, actually, that we brought in for you, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, goes through a lot of that and explains that. And there's only three, three types of power, really, that give you reliability, meaning on a consistent and economical basis. And that's your hydrocarbons, your fossil fuels, uh, your hydroelectric when you build a dam, uh, and nuclear. And uh, even uh, nu- nuclear is pretty much, uh, you know, we won't even get into nuclear topic, but uh, those types of fuels, you, can, you, you know, you constantly have water flow, so you know, there's no need to store. But the fossil fuels... And nuclear you can store, and that's what, what gives you that reliability. Um, 
we had talked before uh, about the polar vortex I hit about two years ago up north. And, and uh, one point I just want to bring out to, to maybe some of the listeners is is that uh, uh, the gas lines, there's only about a three-inch diameter line that goes to the utility plants. And you can't store gas. Now, coal, they typically have a 60- to 90-day supply. They can look out their window and they see a big coal pile out there. But when the gas line froze... They had no, they had to, you know, coal and nuclear actually is what powered that for the next nine to 10 days. Well, if we didn't have that diversity in our electrical grid, those people would have been without power for, you know, eight, nine, 10 days, whatever it was. And a lot of people probably would have died. I mean, because you're in a, you're in an extremely cold environment and they need, they need heat, they need electricity to survive. So, I'm all in favor of all kinds of power, you know, renewable energies. I mean, solar where it fits and, and uh, wind and, and gas and coal and uh, but but we need to be diversified and we need to maintain that right now coal is about one third of our of our, our power generation and uh, you know uh, uh, it's forecasted over the next twenty or thirty years to to stay between twenty six and and thirty two percent or so so coal will be around for a while and uh, and 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 we need to try to service the customers that that need that product so. Michael, do you have anything to add on that? Uh, you're right on. I want to reemphasize the fact that in order to have a reliable grid, you have to have wind, you have to have solar, nuclear, natural gas, and future. Whatever comes up in the next 20 years, coal may not be around in 100 years, uh, at least not as a, a source of energy, but maybe for its byproducts. Uh, but we support all of the companies in the energy industry and we're working together to make certain that we uh, enhance the security of our national grid. Uh, you had mentioned that uh, one-third of the power is generated by, uh, by coal. Uh, it's also important to point out that, that coal has other uses, and uh, it's key in the manufacturing of steel, in cement, uh, and other sources. So whether or not it's used in the power grid, there's always going to be a, a need for coal. Absolutely. And just to add to that, there's over 100 different uh, byproducts of coal, and a lot of people don't realize it's used in makeup. It's used in, uh, you know, that's a coal ash that, that's used. It's used in plastics. Certain plastics are used, silicone manufacturing. In fact, uh, uh, Elon Musk out there who has his satellites and his uh, Teslas, uh, believe it or not, that blue gem I mentioned earlier in the show, he needs that blue gem coal in order to, to manufacture uh, uh, panels. The, uh, the, the solar panels. So, um, you know, if you take out coal entirely, you're going to take out a lot of other industries with it that, that have a need for, for the chemical composition of, of, of coal. The other thing that I, I think has been pretty exciting is just the, uh, the massive equipment that we use uh, in order to mine coal. And it is, it, it's just phenomenal. When we take people up there to actually see both the uh, both the, um, the, the the thermal and the deep mines uh, they I think are just amazed at the size of the equipment uh, the number of pieces of equipment that we have spread throughout the mountain or in the deep mine we have four high wall miners that are used there to just auger into the side of the mountain we have two continuous miners that are there within the deep mine. Uh, which will eventually be several miles of tunnels and areas within the, within the deep mine. And uh, that whole process is, is just incredible. 
uh, one, one, one of my clients that I took up there one time said, Roger, this is big boy equipment. And it's so true because some of the tires are 10 feet tall. Uh, John, you and I couldn't even reach to the top of the tires mm. of some of this equipment. Uh, but but that's, been, that, that, that's been quite phenomenal to watch that. And then, as I say, to see some of the employees that we have that are really able to handle some of the sophisticated heavy equipment uh, has been very good as well. Uh, tell them a little bit about the uh, the wash plant that we have on on the property too, Tim. Yeah, the, the wash plant is probably one of our, our our most expensive assets that we have. But adding to what Roger said, uh, we flew some uh, uh, clients of his up, uh, and and there's literally a picture of him. I mean, you know, you think you look around Atlanta, you see an excavator which has a little bucket on the front, you know, the arm, and, and uh, Roger, and uh, I think there's about six of us standing inside this bucket. I mean, that gives you an idea how big uh, uh, some of this equipment is. I can't remember how many tons are, uh, that, that the actual bucket weighs, but it's just a, it, 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 it's kind of mind-boggling. But getting back to the wash plant, so when we mine the coal, it's, it's, it's in a raw form. So you're going to have a little, you're going to have uh, uh, rock and sand and all kinds of things that are mixed in with the coal, and so we need to, uh, that's what we call really ash. Anything that doesn't burn becomes ash. And we typically have to get our ash below 10%. Well, the only way you got to do that is you got to wash it. And so uh, Massey Energy was the company that uh, had developed this mine. This mine actually has a lot of history. It goes back to, coal, it's called Coal Good, and it goes back to about 1915. And it was a vital uh, asset for the U.S. government in World War II. They actually used to have uh, armored personnel carriers out there guarding this place. So there's been a few different wash plants on this site before. But this particular plant was built in 2010 at a cost of about $40 million by Massey Energy that was later acquired by Alpha Natural Resources. But So it's nine stories tall, and it has a conveyor that brings in the raw coal, and it kind of flows down through this plant. And it's kind of an unbelievable thing just to go inside that and tour that facility. And there's basically three things that comes out of that plant. One is clean coal, okay? The other one is any kind of rock that's a basically a millimeter or above goes out what we call through on this conveyor that goes over a mile out to a dry refuse impoundment. And then you have uh, uh, anything smaller than that goes out with the slurry or the water and it eventually gets filtered uh, to a, to a standard cleaner than drinking water and then put, put back into the 27-acre pond that we have there. So you've got that slurry, you've got the, the, the rock, and you've got the clean coal. And uh, it's just an amazing thing to watch because we can actually run that plant at 750 tons per hour, and that's how much coal that can process. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing to come see and watch. But, John, if you're in the plant uh, or if you're in the – in the tower when they're actually uh, going. I mean, it, it is shaking. It is rattling. Uh, it, it's really quite a unique experience. So Yeah, the whole plant's designed that way. So the floor kind of shakes and moves. And he's talking about the, we call it, like, it's kind of like the, uh, uh, the uh, I don't know, the, the uh, what, what do you call it, the, the space, sta- uh, the, uh, 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 what am I looking for? What word am I looking for, Michael? You know, the where the, it's just you go in this room and you got all the monitors and all the equipment and it's it's just your 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 space station like command center command center there you go there you go and i'm an ex-military officer (laughs) (laughs) well you're a coal man now i'm a coal man yeah you're into it i can't think of those military terms (laughs) i love it so uh let's get back to something though that i'm sure people are curious about uh that 
just have an interest in, you know, how managing their business every day. I mean, here you are headquartered in Milton, Georgia, right? And you've got operations in Harlan, Kentucky. How do you manage that and how do you keep up with that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, probably we should be in Harlan, Kentucky, to be <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> but have you ever been to Harlan? No. We're trying to make Harlan great again. We've actually got a shirt that says that on it. But uh, it is it is a little difficult, but it's like anything else. Technology today allows you to be, uh, you know, you don't have to actually be at, at your uh, at your office, so to speak. Uh, you know, you can communicate. you got cell phones. you got Internet. you got cameras. we got everything. So we can have any kind of meeting that we could, and it, it's always good to have nothing replaces face-to-face meetings, and, and I typically go up there as a minimum one time a week, a lot of times two or even three. Uh, but uh, it, has its, it has its issues sometimes. But we have, uh, in Milton, we, only, we have an office, and we have uh, about five of us there, you know. And, and so, you know, you have five people running a company. It's almost, uh, you know, a, a $100 million run rate right now, and, and uh, uh, but we also have, you know, 200 and 15 people up in right. Harlan or so, but uh, and they got to be managed. But uh, but our decision for Milton was really that's where the founders and directors live. All three of us live in that Milton area, so that made sense from our standpoint. With the television cameras and all, that made sense. Uh, but the main thing was is is that what we really wanted is is we wanted talented people, talented executives such as Michael, such as Grant Edwards, our CFO, such as Bradley, our controller. And we weren't going to be able to hire talent and then move them to Harlan, Kentucky. Right. But we could hire talent and have them work out of a Milton office. And and really Atlanta is where we raised almost all of our capital that has gone into uh, the coal company. And so from that standpoint, once it's really explained, it makes sense. But that's why we're located here in Milton, and the mines obviously are in Kentucky. Well, and I guess one other element of that you touched on earlier uh, was is the fact that you've got great people in Harlan. I mean, it, you, you couldn't execute a, a uh, structure like this if you didn't have great people that's on right. the ground in operations, right? And, and quite frankly, I don't think we can find the people in Atlanta that could do what the guys in Harlan do. Well, you we know, know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, we we and and they understand that. They understand that uh, we need each other. You know, uh, we, we they need the talents that we have. Uh, you know, setting up the proper corporate governance and uh, the proper accounting and and, uh, and and being able to raise the money and and really be able to make uh, you know the big decisions and and uh, from here. And we've got a great guy that. Uh, that runs it up there, and he's actually a Georgia guy. Uh, he was a guy that we knew that was uh, had an excavation business here, so he knew how to move dirt and make roads and do those things. He necessarily has never uh, uh, mined coal, but John uh, John uh, is uh, become a hell of a coal miner, and uh, and he boy he he runs a, a, a you know he he runs a good ship up there. I mean he just uh, uh, and the guy works I, I kid you not seven days a week. Uh, 18 hours a day, probably. He he lives and sleep, literally sleeps at the mine, probably six days out of the week. I mean, it's just uh, he's incredible work ethic, and uh, but he is from Georgia. I, I think it's important to point out that we have one heck of a, a legal team as well, and <laughs> pointed out by the chief legal officer, right? <laughs> right. I love that. Go ahead. And, and surprisingly, it, it, it is a, a, a legally intensive. Uh, industry to be involved with um, in order to secure your coal you have to have a coal lease 
Uh, you're constantly negotiating with property owners, and you're dealing with hundreds of years of records. Who owns what property, what percent, passed down from family to family. Uh, we've, we've engaged counsel up in Kentucky, and uh, we have a, another attorney that has about 20 years of, of coal experience uh, that actually, unfortunately, works for me. <laughs> uh, I mean, I should be working for her. Uh, but then also, you're dealing with a lot of regulations. And we started out this conversation by how did you go from medical device to coal? They are very similar industries. They're both over-regulated. Uh, in the medical device field, you had the Affordable Care Act. Uh, you had declining reimbursement. You had uh, the OIG, the Department of Health and U Human Services, and the FDA, none of whom were friendly. You're stepping into the same thing in the coal industry. You have, uh, you have several boards that are making certain that our employees are safe. Uh, you have several regulations from an environmental standpoint. Uh, Donald Trump has done a good job of, of, of trying to redact a lot of those uh, or pull them back. Uh, but, but it is a heavily regulated industry, and, and, and there's four tenants, and, and I want to make, uh, make a compliment to Tim Lesby here. Uh, you know, there's, there's four tenants to running a su successful business. you got to have a good product. you got to have good people. you got to have strong corporate finance, and you want to make certain that your internal rate of return is greater than your cost of capital. And if you can follow those four tenets, still working on the fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> if you can follow those four tenets, you can take it from any industry. The coal industry had a little bit different trade terminology, and Tim and I have a dictionary, and we're still trying to figure that out after 18 months. Uh, but Tim has done an incredible job putting together a great team, a great product, or raising capital. And, and keeping the, uh, the entire team happy and moving forward. The, the production growth has just been unseen, unheard of. Uh, and the one last comment I'll make here is that <clears throat> the other similarities between the two industries is that at the medical device company, our medical implants uh, were made out of carbon. <laughs> but, but, Michael, I think most important of all, and I think we would all agree, it's been really fun. And uh, and and that's been that's been really special. Well, I think if you can get involved in anything where you're you're getting a return on your investment and you're doing something great for a community, I mean that's a powerful combination, right? Absolutely. Yep. Good stuff. So maybe as we wrap it up here, let's talk a little bit about what the future looks like. I mean, you you uh, you're, you're just past the one million. Uh, uh, ton, ton, one million ton uh, mark, and I, now I understand why you got to have some big equipment to do all that. Uh, but what is all? What's the future look like for JRL Coal? Well, I think the, the future is bright. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we 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 definitely see a lot of demand, and that's 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 important. Right now, we we could probably sell three to four times more coal. Uh, than we're producing right now. And I, I, I've never been in a business like this in, in my life. Uh, when I was in the medical device business, we had uh, uh, what we call lights-out manufacturing. We had these fancy CNC machines that, uh, you know, would make a part all in one and pump it out on the conveyors like little Willy Wonka land, okay? And, but all those, all those implants always seemed to go into inventory or somewhere. They weren't necessarily sold immediately, okay? Well, every ton of coal that we produce literally uh, – 
uh, goes out about every three days. I mean, we really do not carry any inventory right now. The demand is that strong. Export demand is strong. Uh, we're a little bit landlocked, so it's a little bit difficult for us with, with the CSX. They kind of have a monopoly on the on the railroad, so the freight's a little expensive going to Baltimore or Norfolk. But the 18-month horizon, I think the coal industry has a lot of uh, strength to it. Uh, work goes from there. As, as we said earlier, you know, we think there's a good 20, 25 years is what the forecast, at least until maybe, you know, they're able to store renewable energy and they get the cost down. You know, one thing we didn't bring up is – Renewable energy, which, which I'm, I'm all pro, I'm all for, uh, 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 you know, uh, the technology and developing the technology. But the technology is not affordable yet. We talk about getting having affordable energy for, for our 7 billion people in the world, and, and it's not there yet. You know, uh, nuclear and, 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 and hydrocarbons, you're talking about 4 to 5 cents a kilowatt hour. Whereas uh, renewable energy right now is is running closer to eighty cents to a dollar per kilowatt hour, so it's almost twenty times more expensive. And 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 how do they compete? Well, they've been heavily subsidized by the federal government and other governments around the world uh, have uh, have subsidized energy. Now maybe that'll replace it in twenty or thirty years if that continues. And and uh, uh, we we just don't know. But right now we think that the horizon looks looks good. As long as we can, uh, uh, you know, one thing that Trump uh, also has done is, is uh, you know, this last thing he just did, I think it was called ACE, uh, uh, is it ACE? Affordable, affordable uh, Energy or something uh, uh, that he just passed. But basically what he's doing is he's just uh, uh, Article 10 of the Constitution. It's, uh, he's basically passing those rights. He's not going to enforce certain things on on emissions and these type of things for for the utility companies he's going to go ahead and allow the states to decide you know what they want to do and and so uh you know those are those are some of the things that are that are helping the industry let kentucky let west virginia let let some of these other states decide on uh, their policies for that and and i'm sorry michael had a wanted to bring up uh, uh, ace is the affordable uh the affordable clean energy rule yeah too. there it is ace there you yeah go. yeah and that was just literally in the last Two weeks. It, we're, it's kind of replacing the uh, uh, the Clean Energy Bill or Clean Energy Act. It's it's uh, uh, he's basically telling them not to en- enforce it and drop it down to the states is what he's what he's basically saying. He he can only do so much through executive orders, and eventually we've got to get some legislation that's passed. So, just to wrap it up here for those that are listening that might want more information or how to be in touch. Tim, why don't you tell them how to do that? Uh, that's a good question. How would we do that? Maybe they, your they website can, or they can go to our website, JRL Cole. Uh, uh, it's under jrlcole.com. They can go up and they can look at a nice picture of Michael Rose Meisel and Roger Lusby and, and myself and Yoko Rissonen, who we didn't talk about, our chairman. Uh, you know, a fantastic guy. Uh, uh, has been involved in a lot of a lot of different uh, medical device companies. He was one of the co-founders of WebMD. I mean, so we got some. We got some uh, big people here in the Atlanta community. They're involved in JRL Energy, and and we're proud to have him. And uh, he's a great chairman, and and uh, and he also he actually comes in every day, and harasses Michael and I, <laughs> make sure we do our job. <laughs> and they can look for our sign in downtown Milton. That's I right. love it. Yeah, and we're adding to the sign based on on Roger Lusby's input. We're going to it. You see it? It looks like almost like a cheer sign. It's uh-huh. right there at the corner of that mess. And uh, Roger said we're going to drill two holes and we're going to add another little part. It's going to say 
over a million tons served. So <laughs> we're going to continue to 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 replace that for you young people out there. That's referring to McDonald's when we can remember when they had about uh, forty-seven million served or something, and who knows how many billions it's up to now. But sure, that's exciting. So um, great stuff. So uh, Tim Lesby, CEO, and Michael Rosemeisel. Did I, I got it again. I think you had it better last time. Did I? <laughs> Rose Meisel. Perfect. Perfect. President and Chief Legal Officer of JRL Cole, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate you being Thank here. You. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Yep. And Roger, any parting words? No, as I say, this was a special client since I'm obviously a founder and an owner, but uh, sure. we've been real excited about it, and uh, thank you for having us today. Absolutely. It's great to... Uh, great to talk about a story like this. Always great to hear more. So uh, that's it for this episode of Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat. For Roger Lesby, I'm John Ray. Join us next time.